At Riverbank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. Let's get into the word. Father, we thank you. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. Thank you because there's understanding for us. We do not walk in darkness. We have the light of light. We are doers of your word. Your name is glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Say loud, amen. Say loud, amen. All right, bring out your Bibles and your church notes. We're teaching a series in church this month titled Christology. Christology is a branch of theology that studies Christ, just like biology is the study of life, right? Zoology is the study of what? Exactly, animals. What's the study of plants called? Botany? All right, some of you. Small strike, you forgot everything. Is well with you. However, this entire series is titled Christology. But today we are narrowing down on something we've titled Christ is God. Say Christ is God. Say Christ is God. Now I don't want you to be distracted. Some of you might be asking, why do we need to study that Christ is God? Like I know that Christ is God, so why should I devote an entire service? To studying that Christ is God. You see, it's important that we study about Christ as God or the entire idea of God. Because there are many people in my generation, in your generation, that do not believe that God exists. Is it true? Is it true? And you know that you are attending a good church when you meet someone that doesn't believe in the existence of God and you can answer the person. In fact, you know you are attending a good church if you can do two things. If you can respond to the person in the right way and then if you can give the person sufficient answer. This is so important. That when somebody says, I do not believe in God, I don't think that God exists. I have facts to prove that I do not believe. As Christians, what many of us do is just, mm, Baruana, I'll just mind my own business. That's not what you should do. That's not what you should do. So, you know you're attending a good church when you can meet the person, when first of all, you can respond the right way. When you say it's not your business, that's the wrong way to respond. That's an unscriptural way to respond. I'll show you in your Bible. In fact, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. We're all going to read it together. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Please open your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Thank you, Lord. Are you there? Are you there? I need more people to be there. 1 Peter 3, 15. Are you there? Read as loud as you can want to go. I can't hear you. Want to go. Some of you are sounding like you are graduate from Islamia. You are reading this Islamia style. He said, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. 
He says, and be ready to give an answer. The Amplified Bible says, but in your heart set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. Acknowledge him as Lord. He says, always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you of your account for the hope that you have in Christ. He says, be ready. Be ready. It means, first of all, it means that people questioning the existence of God did not start in our day. People always questioned that God existed. So he says, be ready to give a logical defense. Give an answer that makes sense. That's what he's saying. So some of us, all we just say is, look, me, I know that God exists, so it's not my business. That's not what he said you should do. He said, be ready to give a logical defense. Be able to answer them. He said, be ready. So you know you attend a good church when you are trained to be able to answer questions concerning your faith. Praise the name of the Lord. So if you do not know, if you don't have these answers, pay attention. When you go out there to evangelize and someone says, I can prove to you that God does not exist. I do not believe in God. I do not subscribe to the school of thoughts. I, I am an enlightened person. I'm a woke guy. Look, I have facts from science to prove that God does not exist. You say, let's discuss. I'm not afraid. I've been trained. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, be ready. Your attitude be, should be of that of readiness. You should be able to give answers. He says, give a logical defense. Some people that even try to answer, their answers do not make sense. You say, I know in my heart. It's true, but that's not a logical defense. That's not a logical defense. How about if he says, I know in my own heart too? You must be able to present facts. And this is what we see in the Bibles. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We read from verse 22 into verse 23. We see a case of using this principle. And Paul was the one that used it. Giving a logical defense to your faith in Christ. Acts chapter 17. We we'll read from verse 22 into verse 23. Are you there? Alright, read together. Acts 17, 22, one to go. Alright, so Paul said, and Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that you are very superstitious. You're very religious people. He says, for as I passed, I beheld your devotion. I saw your commitment to deity. And I realized that there were different altars. And then there was this altar that has to an unknown God. And he's going to answer their question. But before then, this is a group of people that knew somehow in the corners of their hearts that God existed. So anything they perceive to be God, they would have an altar for it. Oh, I believe the Son is God. It's a form of God. They have an, a God for that. I believe that this is God. They have a God for it. So they begin to give different things, names as gods. 
Hermes, Zeus, and all of those things. Because this is what they perceive. But after giving all the names, there was a part in their hearts that knew that I've not covered the entire syllabus of God. There's something about God I do not know. So they just gave one altar called the unknown God. Let me satisfy that thing inside of me that makes me know there's God. But I know I've covered as many as I can, but there's one I've not covered. Now, Paul is going to answer them. Look at verse 24. Are you there? Logical defense. That's what we said, right? He says, God that made the world and all the things in it, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and he dwells not in temples, sorry, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in the temples made with human hands. I know you have covered the entire syllabus you think is God and even the one you do not know, you are trying to ascertain who he is. Now realize that Paul did not say, mm, I just moved away. No, he went to meet them. And then now he's giving a logical defense. I under, you know that there is God. And so you've given names to all forms of God. One thing I know you know if you believe there is God is that he created heaven. He created the earth. He created the stars. He created the sky. The vast universe. Do you think if he needs accommodation, he will ask you? Logical defense. Logical defense. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Neither worship with human hands as though he needs anything, seeing that he is the giver of life, breath, and all things. If he was in need, he created everything. Do you think you come and meet and say, Roger me, yam, and oil, as sacrifice? If he needed to be satisfied, is it you you come and meet? So that you bring part of what he made to give him. If he, if he owns the whole world, why do you think that this small provision you gave him is what will satisfy him? You, this is logical defense. He's saying if God created everything, why do you think that this small thing you are offering on those altars will satisfy him? Let me tell you something. And this, you understand it when it has to do with relationship with human beings. There are people that are so rich, you know that there's nothing you can give them that will add anything to them. I read something online yesterday about <laughs> one babe that gave her, I think her salary was like 15K. She used the entire salary to buy him a gift. The guy was a rich guy. The guy said, look, I can't use this thing. Just tell me how much you bought it. Let me give you the money back. And it's, listen, you might, you might say that's private, but not necessarily. Some people are just bigger than some things. Now think about it. Think about Elon Musk, for example. You now carry your small pocket money or your small savings wrapped a very beautiful 60-leaf paperback book for him. And you gave him from all your heart. Will he ever need it? Question, will he ever need your 60 leave? Exactly. Some things are just beyond some people, isn't it? Exactly. Some things are beyond some people. So, if we understand that with human beings, this is why some of you, when you're thinking about that your rich uncle, his birthday, you're like, what do I give him? This guy has everything. So, when you're now thinking of God, 
who is bigger than your rich uncle and bigger than all of us combined, what do you think you can give him that will make him be impressed? Like, wow. You can't impress God. That's what Paul is saying. Why do you think you can bring something that will be impressive to God? Logical defense. Do you see that now? So, it's important that you are able to give a logical defense for your faith. Is that okay? So, your attitude is this. You don't run away. And when you want to answer them, you give a logical defense. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me make this very clear. When you're talking to people in church about God, there are people of faith. There are people that believe. If it's in the Bible, they believe. But when you're talking to people out there that do not care about your God, you can't bring the Bible because they don't care about your Bible. You bring logical defense. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. Now look at Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The Bible also tells us something very important there. I'm moving to how can we answer their questions? What's the logical defense you can give? So there are a lot of them, but let me give you one. Or rather, what I want to answer is this. Does God exist? Because before we start saying Christ is God, if there's nothing like God, then there's no... Do you get what I'm saying? So, does God exist? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Are you there? Are you there? Please open your Bibles. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Tell me when you're there. Alright, some of you are there already. Read together verse 18. One to go. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of God in... You guys are not there. Romans 1, 18. Are we all there now? Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Let's read together one to go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of Oh, exactly. So, let me explain that. He says, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. The word hold the truth there, if you have an amplified Bible to show you, it means they suppress the truth. Now, listen to me very, very well. As people that God is sending to our city to evangelize this city, you must understand this point. He said they suppress the truth, meaning the truth is there, you put it down. This is what has happened in our generation. This is what the other generation failed to do. This is why it seems like the entire world is carnal. This is why it seems like it's alien to be a believer. Let me tell you something. There was a time in human history when the popular narrative on the streets was the Bible narrative. There was a time when the constitutions of nations were drawn from the Bible. There was a time when the Bible was common everywhere, in hotels, in schools. Now they've withdrawn them because we allowed people to suppress this truth. We think it's because the devil is strong. It's not true. The Bible said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. It means that this world belongs to him. The devil might have gotten it when Adam fell, but Jesus came for a reason. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. So God is king in this world. The kingdoms of this world, he said they have become the kingdom of our God. It's his. We are 
vested with the responsibility to make it evident. I get to what I'm saying? So it's a reality in the spirit. He has won the victory. He has defeated the devil. You know that already. But why does it look like the devil is the one that's running the streets? It's because believers have not taken responsibility. There was a time when believers came together and insisted that the narrative of the Bible would be the narrative on the streets. And it happened. It is our responsibility to make it happen. In the Bible, you hear that the apostles have turned the entire city upside down. What did they do? They made sure that people were saved. The ideology, the popular ideology on the streets was the ideology of the Bible. It means it's possible. It means it's possible. But because the devil has lied to us, we think the popular narrative must always be the devil's narrative. It's not true. Listen, God is so much stronger than the devil. In fact, you cannot call the devil God's competition. He's too small. God created him. Literally. I hear what I'm saying? Now he has defeated him. It's our responsibility. Listen, the problem is that we cannot picture it. The devil has so lied to us that we cannot picture it. Let me tell you something. You have to be serious about what I'm saying. Because as you get older, this thing I'm saying would mean more to you. I'm married. I'm thinking about my children. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means that an average teenager an average seven-year-old, ten-year-old have seen a nude image. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means that every, almost everybody in your generation has been scarred by abuse when they were growing up? Do you know what it means? Do you know what it means that they were abused and parents did not know? How did we get here? How did we get here? How did the world move from the days of SUs to where it is now? Because we are not thinking of influence. Do you want your daughter to be scarred? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Are you seeing what children in primary school are doing these days? I know you want to be rich. But when, now that you, when you become rich and you hand over your phone to that person, you, 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 you can't determine what happens again. You want to be rich. You want your daughter to have a cute little room that is painted either pink if you are not a feminist yet or blue because you are now a feminist or black because black is the new gold so she's in her room locked up in her room with a smartphone and the devil has a field day I don't know if it takes being a father for this thing to cut your heart but don't wait until that time listen to me, listen to me people like you and I decided that this world will spoil and they brought it to where it is. They decided that they would influence the narrative. Go and watch the songs that were raining in 2003. Secular songs. They were wearing the clothes you are wearing currently in secular music. That is what is church clothes was secular. Let me tell you something. And at that time, if you were, if, if, if you knew, at that time, it looked bad. What they were wearing really looked bad. You know the way you see and you, you are like, ah, why are people dressing like this in secular music? Exactly. That's the same feeling we had in 2003. So think about what your children will be watching. 
you must, it must count for something. So, beyond just trying to make money, okay, when you make the money, where do you want to take them to? Mass? Is that where you want to take them to? Because if you take them outside Nigeria, that's worse. You cannot even tell them that this is not right. Your daughter can insist that me now, I'll wear bikini, I'll wear this one, and that's how I will be going around. Maybe you don't realize that there are places in this world that people walk on the streets that way. Not in the beach. On the streets that way. And since we are copy copies coming, it's coming. So we have a responsibility before your daughter tells you and your son tells you, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe God exists. Well, I'm giving you pocket money, you don't know that God exists. Are <laughs> you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have to think. You have to think of influence. So, he said they suppressed the truth. That's what they've done. Now look at verse 19 in your Bibles. Read together, I want to go. He says, because that which may be known of God, are you there? Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. Now listen, we know that God, you can't study God and say, I've covered the syllabus of God, I know everything about God. It's not possible. The Bible says his ways are past finding out. It's beyond what your mind can get. But that's not all. He says what may be known about God is evident. Meaning there are aspects of God that can be known. There are aspects we cannot know, but there are aspects that can be known. He says because God made it evident. It means that if they do not know it, it's not a failure on their part. It's a failure on God's part. God made it evident. It means God said, I want you to know this aspect of me. And so I've made it evident. If they do not know it, it's not their failure. It's God's failure. What it means is this, and this is what it implies. It implies that everybody has a knowledge about God. Because God cannot fail. He has made it evident. Do you get what I'm saying? So there are aspects about God that can be known. The word evident there means to shine. That is to become public knowledge. Many theologians even agree that what he's talking about is common knowledge. You don't even have to be intelligent. You don't have to go to school to know this one about God. Praise the name of the Lord. So he says, what may be known about God is evidence. Now look at your Bibles. We're taking it further. Are you ready? We're trying to prove that God exists. And we say there are aspects of God that can be known because God has made it evident so everybody can know it. Howbeit, people have suppressed that truth. But what's this aspect? Verse 20, read together, everybody wants to go. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without so he says that the invisible things about God have been clearly seen, being understood by the things which he has made. In the science of logic, this is called 
intelligent design. Meaning that if I see something that has been designed intelligently, I can know that the mind that designed it is intelligent. Let me give you an example. This is a smartwatch. There are many components of this watch that makes me know it's an intelligent person that designed it. Number one, it has a screen that I can see the time in. Not that there's a time, but they've used meta to cover it, and I cannot see. That's no intelligence. Abby? Good. The watch connects with my phone and doesn't connect with your phone, even if you use the exact make of my phone. It means that there's intelligence that went into designing it, isn't it? So when we see something that's been designed intelligently, we can know that the person that designed it is an intelligent person. So it's very dubious when scientists hold on to the love, the, 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 the principle of evolution. Because when you look at the entire world, the design is perfect. How many of you studied ecolo, ecolo, sorry, ecology? I think that's what it's called, the ecosystem. What's it called? All right, ecosystem, right? Do you know how intelligent that thing is? The fact that microorganisms that we do not see in the ground have impacted how we do life. That an animal will die and they would act on it and make it decay. And it will supply nutrients to the ground. And the plants will tap into those nutrients and gain nutrients and grow and produce fruits and seeds that we animals can eat and be alive. And when animals die, microorganisms act on them. Do you know how intelligent you have to be to create that entire system that works on its own autopilot? That without supervision, there's raining season, there's dry season, and there are plants that grow at different seasons. That the entire system just works on its own. That's so intelligent. You think that was an accident? That something just happened and things just organized themselves that way? That uh, I can't even. It's just very dubious. He says that he is known. The invisible things of God can be known by the things which He created. He says so. No one is. No one can have an excuse. You can't tell me that the world is designed so intelligently and it's an accident. Look, do you know how many variables there are in this world that have arranged themselves so perfectly? Do you understand? It's like you have a, 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 a toddler and you bought a toy for the person. And you know all these toys are alphabets. You know, Nigerian parents, they love to use play and education together. No, they don't waste anything. Your play must be teaching you something about school. So your toy is now all those alphabets, A, even biscuits. Give me the biscuits that is alphabet. Even in your eating, be learning something. So imagine the you come in and your child has not gone to school. You, you know that's what they do. Why are you still sucking breasts? They'll bring that ABCD thing to you to play with. Be getting familiar with what A looks like. You'll soon go to school. <laughs> so you now come into the room and... You just see everything arranged 
alphabetically A, B, C, D to Z. And let's assume your child can talk, but he hasn't gone to school. Just assume. And you're like, how did you do this? He's like, you won't believe it. I was on the bed holding the whole thing. Then I fell and rolled over. And I stood up and A to Z is arranged. Would you believe it? Because the intelligence, the deliberate effort to put in the 26 alphabets in their order shows that the mind has to be intelligent to do it. The mind has to be informed to be able to do it. Don't tell me a chaos cause the order we see in this world. Don't tell me. That's not intelligent. So if you believe that the world is orderly, that we don't have to go and buy oxygen, that the plant, just the interaction between human beings and or animals and plants give them the carbohydrate they need and give us the oxygen we need. All of this is an accident. Everything like, ah, 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 ah. Do you understand? Haba. So we know that an intelligent mind created this world, and that is God. It, it can't be an accident. If it's intelligent, See, there are many factors that make us draw that conclusion. And let me say them. Number one is that it's intelligent. We've agreed on that, right? Number two is that it's a personal, whatever we want to call it, is personal. Let me tell you what personal means. Personal means he understands you and understands your needs. So he creates things to meet your needs. So he didn't just design a world and there's no food. Because he's personal and he cares about your needs, there's oxygen for you, no hustle. There's food for you, there's water for you. Your system doesn't need editing to work properly. It's, it works, it's personal. That's very important. So when we say that there's a force that's intelligent and it's personal, it has to be God. It can't, it can't just be a force. Because if it's just a force, no force is personal. Do you get what I'm saying? No force is personal. So the wind, for example, is a force. It can blow those alphabets. Let's assume it blew the alphabet. The fan just blew it. That's a force. It blew it. And he arranged. We say, okay, this fan is intelligent. But the personalness of that force is the fact that he meets your personal needs. He designed it to. He's not just intelligent. He created things to make you live comfortably. You get what I'm saying? Yes. So, those are just a few proofs that God actually exists. Is that okay? All right. So, we're moving forward now. We've discussed the fact that we need to be able to answer the questions. We need to be ready to answer the questions. We need to be trained to be able to answer the questions. We've also said that you give logical defenses, logical answers, right? And then we've shown logical answers to prove the existence of God, isn't it? So now let's move to the topic of today. Christ is God. So how do we prove from the Bible? Now we've said God exists and God can only be learned fully or in a fuller dimension from the Bible. So let's study on Christ is God. Why is this important? Because there are many religions that do not agree with you that Christ is God. Jehovah's Witnesses do not agree that Christ is God. They believe that he is a God and that in fact he is not, you know, 
one with the Most High. They posit that he is an archangel. That's what they say. That Jesus Christ that you know is an archangel. But you must be trained to be able to answer them. Don't just say, ah. That's not how to respond. You should be able to answer. And that's what we're trying to do today. Muslims do not believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that God can have a son. And that Jesus, they believe Jesus is a prophet. He's the greatest prophet. He's the this. But he's not God. Now listen. If you do not believe that Christ is God, you're a Muslim. That's who you are. And some Christians say unintelligent things like all of us are serving the same God. Really? Really? So there's only one way to enter into a room. No other way. God has designed the room in such a way that, if, you know if God tells you, this is the only way to enter the room, you can't break the wall and enter. You know that, right? Because if he tells you this is the only way, try to break the wall, you'll still not enter. You can be breaking and breaking and breaking, you'll never enter the room. You know that, right? Exactly. So if Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no one can come to the Father except by me, how can you, as an informed believer, say that all religions are the same, and that because they have Bible names in their books, it's the same God we're serving? Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. He says, I'm the door, I'm the access. So if anybody says he saw the Father and he did not pass through Jesus, he didn't meet the Father. He might have met somebody else. And this is why you must be intelligent as a believer. The Bible says that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. So he does not always come as devil. He sometimes comes as an angel of light. So you can see, have an encounter with someone. And you think this is the angel of light. But he's the devil. He's the devil. Is the devil. So, Mohammed said he went to the forest or wherever he went to, and then he had an encounter with an angel. And the angel began to tell him some things, and he began to write them. And that's how there is the Quran. He believes he's the angel of right. But the Bible is clear. Listen, that scripture was written long before Mohammed started writing. So, it's not because Mohammed did his own that they wrote it. He says the enemy, the devil disguises as an angel of light. It was already written. And as they, they wrote it, men, in fact, Muhammad came about 500, 600 years after Jesus had died. At that time, all those things had been written already. This is why the Bible says, strong meats belong to those who by reason of use, by reason of what? By reason of what? Use have exercised themselves to be able to distinguish between good and evil. Meaning, when you are taught like this, you can now listen to a story and make judgments. You said you met someone. You said the person is the angel of light. And he gave you certain information. But if God, the man Jesus, who is God, says he is God, and this is why the Muslim argument is very weak. If you believe that Jesus is a prophet, who is a prophet? A prophet is someone that comes to talk to people on behalf of God. It means God sends you, a prophet, to talk to the people. Meaning that the words that the prophet speaks are the words of God. If Jesus himself said he is God, you have to believe it. The interesting thing is that there's a place in the Quran that says that if you have any question about the Quran, when you're confused, 
Go and meet the people of the light. That's come and ask people that know the Bible. That's how you, when it's man-made, it's flawed. That's what I'm saying. So if you say Jesus is a prophet, and I'll show you, Jesus was clear that he was God. We are not saying Jesus is God because we want to just say it. It's because, listen, if God said Jesus is God, it counts for something now, doesn't it? Exactly. Let me say this at this point. Listen, why is this subject important? Because, let me show you something. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Let me show you something. This is extremely important. Romans chapter 1. Thank you, Holy Ghost. And verse... We read verse 20 the other time, right? He says... Remember we already said they suppress the truth, right? He said they suppress the truth. He says, because in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or were thankful. Listen, 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 listen. This has to be one of the strongest attacks of the devil. I need you to picture this. Look at your Bibles and let me say it again. He says, because when they knew him as God, they did not glorify him as God or were thankful. Imagine the fact that somebody stands in the presence of God, ignores God, as God. He does not recognize him as, he knows he's God. Remember, we already said that. He says, because when they knew him as God, so it's not that you stood in the presence of God and you did not know he was God. Even when they knew he was God, they did not glorify him as God. And this is the attack of the enemy. And this is why this study is important. Because what the devil wants to do is this. He knows there is God. The Bible is clear about that. He says demons know and they tremble. He says, but he can make you see God. Like, that means God has made... And this is... Listen, the devil is more intelligent than we give him credit for. God has designed it in such a way that you know him. But he says even when they know that is God, they will not glorify him as God. They will just ignore him absolutely. Because the devil can necessarily, there's a limit to how much he can stop you from knowing God. Because God has made himself evident to everybody. Now that he sees his handicap, what he will do is, don't take God as seriously as you should take him. Have you heard people curse God and you felt it in your heart? You're like, ah, I'm not that religious, but ah, 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 this one is too much. That's what is happening. We do not realize it. So even when we know that he's God, we don't really, really take him seriously. So now you know that about those people. But now let me come to where he hits home. Where it affects you. That even when we know, listen, that he is God, we know that we should give him our absolute devotion. We don't do it. You know that he deserves your entire energy. He says, serve the Lord with all your hearts, with all your might, with all your strength. You know you should do it. But you're not doing it. It's an attack. It's one of the devil's greatest attack. Many of us think it's sin. It's not, it's not sin. It's not about those things. It's that you are able to know 
that this is God, that in the worship of God, I should be invested. I mean, I shouldn't celebrate anything more than I celebrate God. I shouldn't celebrate my football team more than I celebrate God. I shouldn't be ambitious about my, you know, my musician, the musician I'm a fan of, that I'm a big fan of, more than I'm a fan of God. Many of us are very passionate about those musicians. We can throw punch. Do you understand? If we just dare say that the video is better than whiskey, you can stand up and leave church. Say, what? what? Blasphemy. You just carry your bag and go home. So, like you can sit down and argue this thing. You're like, let's argue this thing. So, we see your involvement, your investment in those things. We see your investment in money. And it's good. You want to make money, it's good. We've thought on it before. But you are so devoted to money that even though you know Lord, you are more precious than silver. You know this thing. You know it. You are more costly than gold. Listen, even if you don't truly understand this, you know it's true. That he, he's, he's more important than money. You know. But when we see the way you chase money at the expense of God, it's the attack. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the attack. So, like, the devil won't come and say, Zipporah, don't chase God, chase money. He won't come like that. You just, is it that serious? There's just a way we feel like, is it that serious? If you do not realize, you know what the Bible says? He said, don't be ignorant of the devices, the schemings of the devil. He's a schemer. I hear what I'm saying. So he doesn't come in an obvious fashion. He schemes. So when you know, and many of you may have observed this, let's say you are very passionate. As a church, we have devotions in the morning and in the night. You're very passionate. You're attending morning devotion, attending night devotion online, all of those things. And even on the days, let me say you wake up, it's from 6 to 6.30. You wake up at 6.25. You say, ah, you tune in, you participate. You know those things, right? Then you now start, let me just, I'll not attend this night. The devil is doing something you do not realize yet. I'll not attend. You skip that one. In the morning you wake up, I'll attend by enter late. In the night. So, even though you know that I should be committed to God. A time of fellowship. David said I was glad. When they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Even though you know that a time of, I mean, actual time to be with God. You know what the Bible says? He's saying his presence is fullness of joy. Just, just being at the presence of God. It's priceless. If we say, guy, I have plug. David is coming to Abuja, let's go. We'll be able to meet him in the hotel before he goes for his concert. You've, you've left school. You've dropped out. For the presence of a man. You take selfies. You post it. Do you understand? Your, 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 your um, Instagram interactions will go. Before you know what you are. You are, you are an influencer. You are now a plug. 
because of a man. But now you, you know that God is more important than that man. But it's just a way we lightly treat the things of God. It's what the devil is doing. Even though you know he's God, he say you do not glorify him as God. You're not obsessed with him as God. And you're not thankful. Like, if you had an audience with whiskey, you thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to meet you. You are thankful. Poor God, you are like, well. So, this is a primary attack. But you don't realize it. It's a primary attack. What I want you to do, and this is the crux of this Bible study as it pertains to you, that you do not give the devil foothold in your life anymore. That when you know it has to do with God, you glorify him as God. You give him the devotion. Let me tell you something. The devil is not in control of your life. You are in control of your life. You can't choose to be passionate about God. You can't choose to be passionate about God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some of you chose to be passionate about, what's this marketing called? Affiliate marketing. You are not, you, now you are so passionate. You are winning souls for affiliate marketing. And it's good, it's your hustle. But you built the passion because when you looked at your bank account, you looked at the money they were sending to you, you told yourself, I must wake up. But now this is God. And you can't build the same passion. What's the problem? The devil is having a field day. So you must instruct yourself that going forward, when I recognize God, I glorify him as God. I give him what he demands. He deserves all my energy, all my resources. He deserves my time, my audience, my emotion. Know that when they say worship God, you just put your hand in your pocket. It's God. The devil is having a field in your life. He says, worship me. Do you know what the Bible said? People will see Jesus, and this is on that point that proves it's God, because you only worship God. They will fall down on the streets and worship him. And he didn't say, come on, that's extra. He didn't say it. Because that's how God is worshipped. The Bible said the 24 elders in heaven, they fall down, they cast their crowns on the floor and worship God. You must, we must see enthusiasm when you worship God. When you pray, that passion you have for football, you know the way you celebrate when your team scores? Let's see it with God. When we say you are more precious than silver, let it look like you mean it. Actually mean it. So you must be very thoughtful. And say he truly is so. Because all this money will leave it here. That's what the Bible says. It says, naked you came, naked you go. Listen, let me tell you something. I, I, I'm not against money. If you know me well, you know I'm not against money. I look like a bag of money. I can't be against money. Do you get what I'm saying? But you must realize that money is good and is important. But there's what's more important. And what I say is, juggle all the balls. Let no one fall. Work hard, be diligent, make money well, well, well. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Be a millionaire if you want, be a billionaire if you want. I have no problems with you. We need it in the kingdom. That's what you don't realize. 
we needed to achieve what he said we should achieve. That's the problem. We don't see, we don't see things from God's point of view. So, the decadence in the world currently is because people put their money there. People put their money. Do you know what it means? That almost every movie you watch, you have to go to the cinema, pay actual money to watch the movie. But then when you want to watch porn, you just go online and you watch it for free. There's someone bankrupt. What's their benefits? Someone is bankrolling these things. What goods and services is Bob Risky offering that he's so rich? What exact, what's, what's, the, what's his business plan? What's the service he's rendering? We, when we say Elon Musk, we see the service he's rendering. When we say whiskey, we see the service he's rendering. Right? Entertainment. Are you entertained with Bob Risky's content? So, how is he so rich? There's someone definitely bankrolling him. Or her. As the case may be. <laughs> I hear what I'm saying? So, it means, oh my goodness. Do you know how difficult it is to watch? Listen, let me tell you something. Because you have been desensitized, you don't realize that the movies you watch are very terrible. The fact that every movie has an erotic scene. You think that's normal? It's normal to you. But the Bible says, flee every appearance. But you're like, we are used to it. So now it's common for you. So the system is so designed that it's now difficult to run. It's now normal. But it's going somewhere. It doesn't go into where it's going to. It wasn't like this before. It's getting worse. It's going somewhere. So, we must be able to make so much money that we fund movies that are entertaining and are good and are noble. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not the one that would make, when you finish, you just slip into habits. So, make the money. That's what I'm saying. But juggle all the balls and let no one fall. Make the money, but be passionate about God. I hear what I'm saying? It can, it's possible. It's, listen, David was a king. And he talked about how many times he would go to the temple to pray. He had, you, those Israelites, do you know, those were coconut here though. Just ordinary, let's leave Egypt and go to the promised land. Keep quiet and follow me. Those people frustrated Moses, the guy didn't enter the promised land. So they were qualified troublemakers. But even with all of those trouble, David could have a devotional life. If the, if the devil has succeeded in deceiving you, that you cannot have a strong career and strong, you know, passion for God, then he, he, he's cheated you. But you can. I hear what I'm saying? You can. You can. But here's what your resolution must be. When I realize that is God, I will give him the glory he deserves. When it's time for Bible study, I realize this is a God time. I give God his own time. Not that I'm reading my Bible and I'm scrolling through Twitter. No! 
I give him his time. I give him his devotion. I hear what I'm saying? You give him that one. It's his. He says, and you are thankful. So that when you think about God, I mean, if you stood in the presence of God, it's such a rare privilege. We just don't know it because we're not very thoughtful. We're too distracted. When you, when you think about God, you should be thankful. That the God of... Sometimes I just think about it in my place of prayer. The fact that I have an opportunity to know the one true God that created everything. With all the confusion out there, you made it possible for me to know. My goodness, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They said they did not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. So, when we know God, we glorify him as God and we are what? All right, so let's look at the Bible, just a few, like four points that tell us that Jesus is God. Number one is that Jesus claimed that he was God. Jesus did what? Jesus claimed that he was God. Mark chapter 14, verse 61 to 64. Mark 14, I'm going to be very fast. Because we have a number of scriptures, a, a lot of scriptures to read. Mark 14, 61 to 64. Are you there? No response. Are you there? Alright. Mark 14, 61 to 64. Are you learning something today? Alright. Verse 61. But he withdrew to a quiet place. All right. He says, but he withdrew to a quiet place and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Son of the Blessed? That's the Son of God. Jesus said, What? Now listen, he wasn't answering his question like, Yes, I am the Son of God. He was he, he gave this guy the answer that God Himself gave Moses. When Moses said, you are sending me to Egypt, I'm not going to go. He showed him all the signs. He said, I'm not going. He said, okay, if I want to go, who will I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. Now they ask Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed, the son of God? He gave the same answer. Clearly saying that he's God. And in case you think I'm fabricating it, let's keep reading. He says, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man seated at the right hand in power and coming in the cloud of heavens. The high priest rented, he tore his clothes and said, we need no more further witness. Verse 46, he says, ye have heard the blasphemy. What thinkest thee? He said, this is blasphemous. What in the world are you saying? What are you saying? He tore his clothes. That's the high priest. Don't think about him as a, as, 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 as a tout on the streets. He was regal. He was royalty. They don't do those kind of things. He's the high priest. His clothes was symbolic. He couldn't tear it. it it's not possible. It's not right. God was the one that told them, this is how to design the clothes. Put these stones on social place and social place and social place, and this is what it symbolizes. It was important for God. 
He tore it. He says, this is blasphemous. He's the high priest. He knows about religion. So, getting angry that Jesus is God did not start today. Has always been there. Why were they angry? It was the work of the devil. It was the work of the devil. So it's not just about argument and theories and different positions. Which one came first, the chicken or the egg? It wasn't about positions. It was that the devil knew that if I could stop you from seeing God or acknowledging God as God, you will not worship him and give him thanks. Let's read other scriptures. You can also look at, in fact, let's go there, John 8, 58 and 59. John 8, 58 and 59. It corroborates what we just read. John 8, 58 and 59. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I, I am. You see that again? It says they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus came out of that place. So you see him repeating the same thing, right? He wasn't, it wasn't grammar. It wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't English he was speaking. He wasn't saying, if he was talking grammatically, he would have said, before Abraham was, I was. But he is saying that, look, before Abraham was, I am. He's telling them, look, I'm God. I, I, I've always existed. That's who God is. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not just an old man. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not just an old man. He wasn't talking about age. Listen, if you read the verses before that one, they were saying, who do you think you are? You're a young man. You're talking as if you've always, you, you know, you've, you've lived for a long time. So, the initial context of that discussion was about length of living. You know when someone is trying to with you as if it's older than you and you're like guy i will pass you stop for me even if i don't know your age i know i'm older than you so that was the line of discussion but when he did this one they picked up stone because he was referring to himself as god look let's look at other verses john 10 verse 30 verse 30 to 33 john chapter 10 verse 30 to 33 I am my father and one. Verse 31. Then the Jews picked up stone. You can see that they always wanted to kill him upon this, on top of this matter, right? Exactly. The hatred for Jesus being God didn't start today. John 10 from verse 30 to 33. Jesus, sorry, verse 31. And the Jews took up stone again to stone him. Jesus answered, Many works I have shown thee for my father. For which of the works do you want to stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. So it was clear that Jesus was saying that he is God. That's why they wanted to stone him. We know Jesus is God because he claimed he was God. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. He claimed he was God. So the first reason why we know he's God is because he claimed he was God. The second one is because the prophecies about him said he's God. The prophecies, there were prophecies before he was born. Those prophecies were clear that he's God. Let's look at a few of them. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. 
Listen, it's important that I show you in the Bible. As a believer, you don't just believe things because you hear them. You must see it. Do you get what I'm saying? That's important. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Read together Isaiah 9, 6. Are you there? Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Let's read together. I want to go. Did you see that? He said, unto us a child is born. You know that it's about Jesus, right? And unto us a son is given. He said, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. If they did not teach you that this was about God, you probably would have thought, this is about the Most High. He's God. That's what the prophecy says. He's the Everlasting Father. Isaiah chapter 7 Verse 14. This is a beautiful one too. Isaiah 7, 14. Are you there? Read together, want to go. He says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. And shall bear a son and shall call him what? Do you realize that throughout his life nobody was calling him Emmanuel? They were not calling him Emmanuel. It was a description of who he was. Emmanuel. The transliteration is with us is God. With us is God. Emmanuel. Or like you know it to be God with us. Us. He is God. That's what the prophecy says. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what the prophecy says. And there are scriptures that are clear that he's God. Let's look at, so that's the next point. The scriptures that clearly tell us that he is God. John chapter 20, verse 26. John 20, 26. I've given you three points to prove that he's God. The first one is what? He claimed that he was God. The second one is what? Alright. And then the third one is that there are scriptures that clearly point out that he's God. Clear. John 20, 28. I want us to read this. John chapter 20 and verse 28. Nobody should confuse you anymore and tell you that Jesus is not God. John chapter 20, verse 28. Read together, I want to go. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my, my God. It wasn't an exclamation. It wasn't like, my God. My God. That's not what he was saying. You see, my Lord. You know the story. He had risen. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe. If I do not put my hands in the hole where they nailed him, I'm never going to believe. He said, Thomas, come, put your hands. When the guy put it, he said, my Lord, my God. He called Jesus God. And Jesus said, blasphemy. Don't call me God. Call only the most high God. He did not. You see that? He did not. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. This one is important. Make sure you know this one. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. By the way, 
this scripture can be used against the Jehovah Witness argument that Jesus is not God. It's something I'll teach another day. Hebrews 1.8, are you there? He says, but unto who? Unto the Son. Who is the Son? Who is the Son? Jesus. He says, unto the Son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever. He says, unto Jesus, he said, what did he say? He says, your throne, O God, is forever. He called him God. Guess who called him God? The Father. The Father was talking to him. He says, your throne, O God, is forever. So, what, what's your point? If who you claim is God calls Jesus God, what, what are you saying? So, there are scriptures that are clear that he is God. There are many other ones, but... I'll just stop there. Colossians 2.9 also says, In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything about God was in him. He was complete God. Hebrews, Colossians 2 verse 9. So Jesus is God. I hear what I'm saying? He's God. And our response to that is worship. That's our response. A response to the fact that he's God is, let me tell you something. I know that this teaching was impactful when I see that your Christian devotion changes. When you can now descend the attack of the devil. When you realize that you know everybody should be serious with God. But you are not serious. You know it's the attack of the devil. Because even when you are meant to, even when you know he's God, he will stop you from acknowledging that he's God. Let me show you that. Go back to Romans chapter 1 verse where we read. I want to show you that and then we'll wrap up from there. I'm, I'm just going to conclude with that thought. Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. Are you there? I need you to all look at your Bibles. Read together verse 21. Want to go? says but because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful he said but they became vain in their imagination just that vanity of imagination he says and their hearts were darkened listen this is the only weapon the devil has that he makes the heart of a man darkened that the glorious light of God does not permeate your heart. That even though you know you should be serious, it doesn't, there's just something, it doesn't hit you. It's the work of the devil. It's the work of the devil. It's the work of the devil. It's the work. So, this is the devil's attack. Listen, and so we, and if you read your Bible very well, please pay attention, don't get distracted. When you read your Bible very well, what you realize is that the consistent, in fact, this is this true spiritual warfare. That the heart of a man is darkened. 
You see Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. Same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, around verse 18. He says, I bow my knees to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. That it's flooded with light. That the eyes of your hearts is flooded with light. Because what the devil does is make sure that it doesn't enter your heart. You know it in your head. But for some reason, you are not persuaded. You know it in your head, but it doesn't impact you. He stops that. You get what I'm saying? So, now you are clearly seeing what the devil has been doing in your life. I know these things, though, but I do not do them. Hallelujah. I know these things, but I just don't do them. I just don't do them. Now that you descend the attack of the devil, don't worry, just focus. Now that you descend the attack of the devil, I need you to act like someone that is informed. I hear what I'm saying? Act like somebody that is, act like somebody that is, don't allow it again. The devil doesn't have a hold in your life. You can choose to allow it affect you. You can choose to allow the word of God affect you. It, you know what the Bible says? It says the word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than two edges sword. It can pierce through. But it needs your, it needs your permission. So when you hear the word of God, that talks about how you should be devoted to God because he's God. He's literally God. Like, he's the one that created everything. All the arguments about God in the universe, it's him that is the only God. The Bible is clear. He said there's no God but one. And he has chosen to reveal himself to you. He's reaching out to you. Kill that unseriousness today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Kill that unseriousness. Are you hear what I'm saying? Let that unserious... Listen, it's something you can do. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's something you can just choose. That I know he's God and he deserves my devotion and I will give it to him. As you open yourself up, what does the Bible says? It says, him that is at work in you. Both to will and to do. He's going to walk through you. I hear what I'm saying. He's going to walk through you. But you must give him an opportunity. You must pray that you are strengthened with might. You must pray that the zeal of God consumes you. You must do things that would allow that zeal to grow because there are things that will kill the zeal. Everybody that truly knows God will be passionate about God. So when you know these truths, what happens? And you go to the place of worship. Some of you understand what I'm saying. And you begin to sing about things you already know. You begin to know them even better, even deeper even stronger. 
like we are singing lord you are more precious than just that place of being in his presence you're like this thing is true this thing is true sometimes in that place you, you just surrender yourself and say god i will chase you all my life now people begin to wonder why are you so passionate about god because you've encountered god so this is what the devil is fighting that when you know him as god you do not glorify him you are not thankful you don't go into the place of worship in reverence you don't go into the place of prayer knowing i'm talking to him you are distracted now if you allow yourself to just concentrate and say i'm literally talking to god I have his audience. He's listening to me. Those songs would hit you in a no small way. When you come out from there, this is what happened to Moses. When he came down from the mountain, the man was different. He wasn't the one that went in. This is why the Bible says, we behold, we are being changed. Because now, when I see there's nothing I desire compared to you. You mean it. Let me tell you something. You might go there. Even when you're singing to you, might not, you're like, I know this is meant to be true. But it's not true in my life. Just focus. Just focus. Just, just think about it. Think about it. There's nothing that I should desire. I mean, you are the best. I mean, you created everything that is sweet. You, you, they, they, your sweet can't be compared to anything. This is what happened to David. Just a man of worship. He says in the presence of God, it's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures. Now when David, that was a king of a nation that was the most feared nation in the world, they had access to whatever they wanted. Forget what Russia is doing. If it was David they were fighting, he could go and sing. He would call his music team. Let's go and fight. They would literally sing and win the war and pack all your, your wealth. So he knew what pleasure was. But when he stood in the presence of God, he says at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. Listen, I want you to be obsessed with an encounter with God. You know that Christ is God. You know that he's a God of love. Have you felt it? Don't wait be obsessed with feeling it. Be obsessed with experiencing it. When you come back, let me tell you, they won't tell you to pray. Your life will change. I know what I'm telling you. As you behold him. Now this is what the devil is fighting. This is what the devil is fighting. This is why you don't like to pray. Because it's boring. How will it be boring if you actually meet God? The one who dwells all the joy. From him comes all the joy, all the pleasures you've known. He's the one that created pleasure. I need you to have a reorientation this morning. I need you to change the way you see your Christian devotion. We're going to watch it for a very short period of time. But I want you to mean every word. I want you to picture what you are saying. It's going to be very short, but I want you to make it count. Rise up on your feet. Just begin to pray and say, God, 
I'm never going to allow the devil cheat me out of what you're doing. Now that I know you are...